as we begin this Lenten season, the, the theme is with him all the way. And we'll be taking a look as Jesus takes that trip to the cross. And that's the attempt as we go through the Passion this year and we go on Wednesday evenings and Sundays as well. We'll be looking at that those steps that Jesus took. And my goal is to lead you along those lines and with the other speakers as well as to take you up to that point. And we sing about it and we should sing about it, the resurrection. Don't ever lose sight of that as we're going in Lenten season either. That's where we're going to end up. And Easter Sunday is a beautiful Sunday, but realize that every Sunday is Easter Sunday. That's why we worship on the first day of the week. We're going to start out by going up to Jerusalem. And if you have your Bibles, it's Mark 10, verses 32 through 34. And I'm going to read that portion here just to start us out. And we're going to take it as Jesus says it here. He's going to go up to Jerusalem. Beginning there, verse 32 of of Mark 10. And you can remain seated out of respect to God's word this morning. It says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. And again, he took the twelve aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This is quite a road that Jesus is going upon. Now, do you know what Guinness Book of World Records says is the longest, um, I guess I should use the right term here, the longest motorable road in the world? It's the Pan American Highway. The Pan American Highway is is approximately 19,000 miles long. Starts in Prudhoe Bay, Alaska, and it works its way all the way to things. And as we hit the the things, you'll see a picture of it there on the screen when it comes up. But it's the longest road in the world. There's a little break in it between Panama and Colombia that they can't quite get through the jungles and things that way. But Physically, that's a long road. And when Jesus says this to the disciples, they're about, they're about 17 miles away from Jerusalem at this point. As they're about in the Jericho area and different things that way. But the trip from Galilee to Jerusalem is about 80 to 100 miles. And that's the road that Jesus would walk. But when Jesus says we go up to Jerusalem, <laughs> he's not thinking of just that physical journey. This now is the end of the journey of why he came. (laughs) To go to the temple. To celebrate the Passover. But it's more than that now. Because to, to Jesus, Jerusalem meant the cross. I happened to watch a little bit of an old movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told, last night. And it's a story of Jesus And they do an interesting thing at the beginning of it when Mary and Joseph are traveling back from Egypt up to Nazareth. They do a little thing in that movie and they take a little license and they show Jesus as a little baby as he's being carried by his mom and dad as a little child. This is actually a little child at that point. And they have to walk along the road perhaps where there's Roman crosses with zealots on. Jesus knew 
that he would have to go to the cross. Jericho to Jerusalem was simply the last lap of this journey, journey to Calvary. How long is that road? Where did that road start? Did it start when Jesus told them that all this was going to happen? Or did it begin at Bethlehem? From the manger, the cradle to the cross. I'm going to tell you right now, it did not just begin at Bethlehem. This road didn't just start there at Bethlehem. (laughs) When we read God's words with eyes of faith, we discover that the road begins way before that time of Jesus and His earthly life. It stretches back to Malachi, the prophet, who looked up the road of history and he saw the coming of one that was likened to a refiner's fire and purifying gold and silver. It stretches back further to the court preacher, Isaiah, who looked up the road and wrote of one who would be stricken, one who would be smitten of God and afflicted, wounded for our transgressions, by whose stripes we are healed. It goes back to King David, who wrote of the soldiers casting lots for Jesus' clothes in Psalm 22. He wrote about the son of David crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It goes back to the hot desert sands where Moses stood, pointing to the brass serpent in the wilderness. On that pole. And then it goes up the road to where Jesus would even say, Even as Moses lifted up the serpent, the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. It stretches back to the door of the tabernacle and the priest laying his hands on the head of the Lamb. The Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, they would kill that Lamb and put the blood in the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. But every one of those sacrifices pointed to the road of the cross, to the road to redemption. But it goes farther back than that. It goes back to the houses in Egypt with the blood on the doorposts. It goes back to Mount Moriah where Abraham had his hand stopped from killing his son Isaac and the ram in the thicket would be provided the substitute. It goes back to Abraham underneath the stars listening to God as he pointed out that his seed... His offspring would become a blessing to the nations. Abraham looked up the road and he believed that it would be so. It stretches back to Abel who sacrificed the best lamb of of his flock and it was pleasing to God. We hear the words of Scripture, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It stretches all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God cursed Satan, where God said that the seed of the woman would come and crush the serpent's head. Now it becomes very apparent that the road to the cross does not even begin at the dawn of human history, but it goes back into eternity. It doesn't start when mankind came. But where does it start? 
The road to the cross starts in the heart of God. That's where it starts. It starts in the heart of God. God is the one who wants us. In Ephesians 1, it says God chose us before the foundations of the world. The longest road in history is the one that was traveled by the love of God to the cross for you and me. And the length of that road is measured by the life that Jesus Christ gave. In the beginning was the Word. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then we read the words that they crucified Him there. They cursed Him. If you're the Son of God, take yourself down from the cross. The length of the road to the cross is the distance between heaven and hell. The H words. Eternity. And it's toward the end of this journey that Jesus says these words. And if you look at them there again in Mark 10, verses 32 through 34, he says to the disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem. And as you read that narrative, as you look at it again, you sense that the excitement is the end of a long, exhausting, arduous journey. But you not only sense the excitement, but you sense the tension that's there. You imagine a condemned man, how he feels walking those last miles, knowing what he's going to have to do, knowing what he's going to have to go through, fully God, fully man. And you catch the drama as it plays out to this gripping climax. And at the end of the road lies the greatest event the world has ever witnessed. Since the morning stars first sang together, since the angels of God shouted for joy. And as we begin this Lenten journey again, may we once again take this journey with Christ and see what He did for us. We're going to note a few things about as He goes up to Jerusalem The verses that I read are kind of the jump-off point for us today. But I want you to know, first of all, that Jesus goes up to Jerusalem with foreknowledge. Jesus knew what he faced. He knew it down to the finest detail. He knew that Judas would sell him for 30 pieces of silver. He knew that the mock trial would be there. He knew there would be false witnesses. He knew the pain and the suffering. He knew the judgment of Pilate. He knew that the soldiers would mock him. He knew that there'd be a tattered purple robe and a crown of thorns. He knew that they would spit on him. He knew that there'd be that awful scourging. He knew the cross. He knew the nails. He knew the spear. He knew it all. Yet, he went up to Jerusalem. And he knew why. He knew why it had to be. In Matthew 20, verse 28, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life. He's no fanatic out to seek some spectacular martyrdom. He's no dramatic actor trying to impress us with his ability. He's no tin horn hero being gallant with cheap bravado. 
He's the Son of God. Seeing, knowing, yet going up to Jerusalem to die for you and for me. The second thing I want us to note here, he went up with foreknowledge, but he also went up to Jerusalem with determination. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says that Jesus resolutely set out for. (laughs) That word there literally means he set his face to go. He was set and resolutely he was going to go. He set his face. He knew what he had to do. (laughs) In other words, Jesus fixed his course to the cross. In Isaiah chapter 50, Verses 6 and 7, it says, I offered my back to those who beat me. These are the prophetic words of Isaiah. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I have set my face like flint. And flint is a hard thing. It's, it's, it's a hard rock. We're going to go. <laughs> I have set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame. The necessity of the cross was so important. And we see it because Satan tried to deter Jesus numerous times. He tempted him to not accomplish this. When Jesus told the disciples what would happen, as he, he mentioned it back in Matthew 16, Jesus said to the disciples that this would happen just like he said it here in Mark. It says there in Matthew 16 that that Peter got up and said, Never, Lord, this shall not be. (laughs) This will never happen to you, Peter said. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Jesus knew he had to go to the cross. Some suggest that even the Greeks who came to see Jesus in John chapter um, 12 were coming perhaps with an invitation to have Jesus go back to Athens with them. It may have been another scheme of the devil here to change Christ's course from Jerusalem's suffering and death to maybe go back to Athens to all the ethics and the philosophy that Jesus could have been a part of. But Jesus had set his face to go to Jerusalem. Oh, there would be discouragement that would come. There would be the things that he would feel. He would feel it as the disciples would argue among themselves, the petty quarreling, who's better? He would see it as the, he would say that one of them is going to betray him and some of them would say, surely not I, Lord. The two things, temptation and discouragement, go together. And right now there perhaps are those that we know who are ignorant of the way of salvation, not because they haven't been told about it, but because they don't want to understand it. For it will mean some uncomfortable facing and forsaking of sin before the cross. And out of failure to get at the meaning of the cross for their own lives, like the disciples, they fall naturally into the selfish way of life where their only concern is what's in it for me. 
And such are the obstacles in men's hearts today to the Holy Spirit overcoming that. See, the third thing I want you to note that Jesus does here is He goes up to Jerusalem with willingness. He willingly goes. He, he doesn't show some sort of stoic resignation to His fate here, but He willingly bears the cross. It is love. It's His love that He strains forward to accomplish His mission. And Mark catches that willingness when he describes Jesus walking ahead of the rest of the group. Did you catch that in in Mark 10? It says that Jesus led the way. (laughs) They're amazed and afraid, but he leads the way. He's willing to go. He was doing what he was meant to do. He was doing what the Father wanted him to do freely and gladly It was voluntarily. It was not forced. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, it says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I lay it down willingly. I lay it down of my own initiative. It's almost like Jesus was stretching forward to the cross. He wanted and he desired salvation for us. He would weep over Jerusalem. Do you remember? Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who killed the prophets and stoned those who's, who sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers the chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So therefore, we have this amazing paradox here. It's amazing and it's awful. We have a sinless Savior reaching out to the cross of a sinful world. (laughs) And a sinful world that's refusing to reach out for its sinless Savior. I think the songwriter Elizabeth Cleophane did it very well. She wrote the song, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. And there's a line in that song that says, Two wonders I confess. The wonders of His glorious love and my unworthiness. The wonders of His glorious love. Jesus reaching forward to the cross for you and me. And then the wonder of my unworthiness, our unwillingness to reach to Him. And finally, we see that Jesus went to Jerusalem with joy. Boy, that doesn't seem like the right word to use here, does it? But he goes with joy. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. (laughs) despising its shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy, the joy of the cross was the forgiveness that would be brought for you and me. The joy of the cross was the justification that Christ would bring, that we could be proclaimed righteous in the righteousness of Christ. I believe He 
knew and he knows all individuals. He knows all of us. And maybe he looked down the road and he saw your face. He was thinking of you and me as he went to the cross and he went up to Jerusalem and he was filled with joy because he knew what the cross meant for you and me and every individual who would ever live. That that opportunity would be there for us. He anticipated seeing you among his followers to be saved. Have you and I received him or have we have we denied him? <laughs> have we refused him? Because when we turn our backs on Jesus and we refuse him, what we end up doing is we end up re-crucifying him. <laughs> His crucifixion was once for all and for you and for me. He went up to the cross with joy. <laughs> he went up to Jerusalem willingly. He went up to Jerusalem <laughs> He went up to Jerusalem with that foreknowledge. He knew what would happen, and he did it with determination. <laughs> There's an old story of a father who worked very hard. He, deter- he was determined to send his son to college. And back in the day, this was, they had limited means, and so it was a big deal if you could get your son and send him to college and do those things. And he was, there was no one more proud or happy on that day when he was able to make that dream come true. And he could take his cart and his horse and he took his son and made the long journey to the, the big city and to drop off his son at college. But it was kind of hard on his dad because as he went back home, he didn't get to see his son very often. And back in those days, they, couldn't, they didn't have their phones where they could text everybody right away or anything that way. And so finally he, he had gotten a break in his time to go back and to visit his son. And it, the one thing he wanted to see was his son. And to do that. And, and so as he's coming over the hill and he comes into the town, his face is all aglow. He can't wait. And he's, he, he's whipping the horses a little bit more. They're going a little quicker at this point. And, and he sees up ahead a group of boys, and he sees amongst those boys his son. And he's so excited, he, he gets the horses going even faster, and he pulls up by the boys. And he says, my boy, I've come all the way from the farm to visit you. And he's there with his outstretched arms. But the boy made no move towards his father. He looks at the old man in his ancient suit and is spattered with mud and covered with the dust of the road. And he sees the shaggy horses in the old farm cart and the wagon. And he looks back at his snappily dressed friends about him. And with a perplexed frown, he turns to the, his father and he shakes his head and he says, I'm sorry, there must be some mistake. You're not my father. I've never seen you before. 
And then grasping the arms of his companions, he strides away, leaving his father standing there. The old man stands there for minutes, dazed, and he climbs back into the wagon. He turns the team around, his weary team, and he heads back toward home. But as he rides back home, the realization that his son had refused to greet him with joy, even refused to recognize him, it presses on his conscience. All the weariness of the past difficult years, all the hardships, all the struggles through which he had gone to give his boy a chance must have rolled over him like wave after wave. And he lives afresh that sorrow, the ache, the fatigue that his boy had cost him. And it's no wonder that the story has it that the old father died not long after. Probably from a broken heart. Jesus went to the cross looking forward to the joy of having you and me among his redeemed followers. When any one of us refuses to recognize or to receive him as his own, the agonies of the crossroad and its terrible climax pierce our Father's soul afresh. The joy of that reunion between the soul and its Savior so long planned is blasted away. He was looking forward when he purposely, steadfastly, and willingly set his face to go up to Jerusalem. Oh, may you and I not rob Jesus of that joy. (laughs) May we receive the redemption. May we walk with him. May we go with Him all the way this Lenten season. And the most important place to get to is the cross where He paid the price for us. Lord, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we look forward to each of these steps along the way. May we be reminded again and again that you went to the cross for you and me. It's the old, old story, Lord. It's the story of the rugged cross. May we tell it again and again and again. But more importantly than telling it, Lord, may we receive what you've done. And may we trust you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would know you personally. Amen.